This is Pursuing Justice. I'm Harriet Hendel. Today, we have the pleasure of speaking with two staff members of the Pennsylvania Prison Society, but we actually already spoke to one, John Hargraves, um, who is chairman of the volunteer group uh, that goes into the prisons. The Pennsylvania Prison Society was founded in 1787 in Philadelphia, the city of brotherly love. And um, online right now, we do have um, a previous podcast and it was recorded on January 3rd. So I'd like to encourage my listeners to go back to hear kind of more of the introduction about this very unique society. Um, But today we have Kirsten Cornell. Welcome, Kirsten, to the podcast. And I wanted to just read the little bio that you sent me so people know who you are. So you joined the society fairly recently in 2019 as social services director. But before that, you were interim executive director at the Delaware Center for Justice. While in Delaware, you worked to advance several key criminal justice reform bills, including ending juvenile life without parole, expanding voting rights for people with felony convictions, and bail reform. So that's a little bit about your background. You also got your BA from Georgetown and your MS um, in social policy and practice from Penn, the University of Pennsylvania. All right, so I wanted to ask you um, to tell us um, a little bit more about your role as social services director at the Pennsylvania Prison Society. Sure, thanks so much for having me. You're welcome. My role really at uh, the Prison Society is to mitigate, you know, the isolation that prisons cause by design. You know, we know that prisons separate incarcerated people from one another, from their loved ones and from their communities. And it's really uh, the goal of my role to create programs and initiatives that help foster connection among people uh, impacted by incarceration. So whether that's through Um, providing uh, actual programming. Um, For example, we have a mentoring program uh, operational here in Philadelphia. We also have uh, a fatherhood group. Uh, Or if it's through advocating for policies um, that are more family friendly and, uh, you know, building relationships. You know, for example, um, the vast majority of county prisons in Pennsylvania don't allow for contact visits between parents and children. So that means, you know, being able to physically hold your loved one and hug uh, when you have that visit. You know, this is pre-COVID times. Um, but, you know, the research is all there that we know it's it's better for people. It's better for kids when you have that contact. So, you know, it's, it's my role to be pushing for policies that, um are, you know, mitigating some of the harm that's caused by prisons. Why, what's the reason they, uh, you understand uh, to be for a non-contact visits when it comes to kids? You know, there's a, there's a big variety of reasons. I I think um, they often use the veil of security as um, the reason for having these policies, you know, that it's easier to pass contraband uh, when people have contact visits, but 
you know, I think the reality is that that indicates there are bigger problems um, with security and contraband, if that's that's what you're concerned with. Um, in the state prisons here in Pennsylvania, the default is that parents get contact visits with their kids. The only reason that you would lose that privilege, and it really shouldn't even be a privilege, but you, know, you lose the ability mm -hmm. to do that, is if... Um, you have a, a pending, you know, a case that involves abuse to a child uh, or if you have some disciplinary issues while you've been incarcerated. But the default is you get it where in the county prisons here in Pennsylvania, it's the opposite, where it's something that often has to be earned if it's even um, presented as an option. So, you know, we want to push um, counties to adopt you know, the more family friendly policies that we know have benefits to, you know, the safety and well-being of people while they're incarcerated, as well as, um, you know, mitigate some of the negative consequences on, you know, the kids experience when they have a parent who's incarcerated. And it also just promotes more connection that helps people when they go home. Sure. Absolutely. Um, did your work at the Delaware Center for Justice um, have anyway, in any way, prepare you for the job you're doing now? Yeah, definitely. Um, I, I think working at local state-based organizations is where you can really see, um, I think, pretty significant impacts on, on people who are impacted by incarceration. So working in a small state like Delaware was really interesting, um, where there were just three state prisons. They don't have any county jails. Um, you could really wrap your hands around the system more and, and see um, kind of a, a microcosm of what you see in larger areas. You know, in comparison, Pennsylvania has uh, 64 county prisons, 23 state prisons. Um, so it's a much bigger system. But um, being able to kind of work on the ground um, with people who are impacted by incarceration, with legislators, um, developing programming to pilot in you know small states, all really prepared me um, for the work at the Pennsylvania Prison Society. That's great. I am so impressed by the extent of the outreach outreach that uh, the organization does. Certainly, the volunteers that that was an eye opener. And I had been a volunteer teacher in New York, so um, you know I could really relate to that. But you you do many more things. In essence, you are a bridge between families and their loved ones in prison in so many ways. So I, I wonder a couple things. What what are those bridges that you kind of build? And why is a bridge like that really necessary? Yeah. Um, you know, I think as you've probably discussed with my colleagues, I think one of the things that makes our organization really unique um, is that we have that statutory legal access to anybody who's incarcerated in the state of Pennsylvania. So, you know, the fact that we have um, the ability to connect with a population that is, you know, hidden from you, um, you know, that the public can't access, the public can't see, it's often very hard for loved ones who even have, you know, family members involved in the system to, to navigate that system. So I think Kind of our our access is um, one of the really that positions us to to really make an impact and in, in connection. Um, but you know, with so many people incarcerated in the state of Pennsylvania, 
each prison kind of operates differently. And it's a really opaque structure to figure out, you know, how, how do I navigate visiting policies? How do I, um, you know, set up a video visit? How do I write to my loved one? More and more county prisons we're seeing are like using outside contracted services to process mail now and, and rules are just always changing. And so it's really, I think, important to have um, an organization like the Prison Society that's available to really walk people through the process, you know, to be able to relate to them with empathy and compassion about what's going on. You know, just because you have a loved one that's incarcerated doesn't mean that um, you shouldn't be treated with, you know, dignity and respect and to be given the time um, to, to really understand um, really complex policies sometimes that, that, that vary and change. So um, unfortunately it's necessary work, um, but I, I think it's, um, it's really powerful and I feel privileged to, to be here and on this, on this team and, and with all of our volunteers. Just dealing with the Department of Corrections is enough. I, I dealt with them for more than I'd like yeah. to. No, right. if, yeah. if you try to call a prison with a question about something, you're you're likely not going to get somebody who's going to spend much time on the phone with you. No, where no, you know true. we get more than a hundred calls a week from loved ones, and and we will we answer every single one of those calls. And if we don't know the answer, you know we'll help connect you to an organization that can that can. Uh, that that's wonderful because you're like the middleman. Uh, you know, you're you funnel the calls and and you know if you don't have the answer, as you said, you can figure out how to get it. And, mm-hmm. and uh, that isn't true in many other states. There's nobody in the middle. It's yeah, just, just you and the and the or the operator, right? Whoever that yeah. is. So you you do um, you mentioned mentoring um, you mentioned parenting groups for dads uh, there's also bus transportation um, tell us a little bit more about those subtopics yeah it's interesting so you know prior to the pandemic um, we were connecting we provided a direct transportation from Philadelphia to any of the state prisons. Um, across the state. So Pennsylvania is a big state. So mm-hmm. you, if, you're incar- if you're from Philadelphia and you have a loved one incarcerated at SCI Albion, which is in the northwest corner of the state, that's a 10-hour drive. Um, and, you know, you're the, if there's not a direct bus to do that and you don't have access to a car, you're not going to see your loved one. So it was really important to be able to provide affordable transportation that goes directly to the prison so people can make those really long connections. There's about 23,000 people just from Philadelphia confined to facilities elsewhere in the state. So it's a really important service. Um, unfortunately, that was um, paused you know, in March 2020 when all facilities um, were closed to uh, in-person visits. Since then, uh, most of the state prisons have reopened in some capacity for in-person visits with various uh, safety precautions in place. You know, for example, um, the incarcerated person has to be vaccinated. You know, they have to wear masks and there's distancing and things like that. But um, there's still a lot of barriers to give people to actually get loved ones together for those visits. Um, I think the department will sometimes say that video visits are so popular that nobody's really interested in in-person visits. And though video visits are great and technology can really provide some unique opportunities, they should always be supplemental 
to in-person visits. What we're seeing now is that the department is limiting um, visits on each day. So, you know, for example, if you're in housing unit A and your last name, you know, starts with the letters A through H, you can get visits on Tuesdays. So if your loved one, you know, works on Tuesdays, you know, doesn't have childcare on Tuesdays, there's still no access to direct transportation, you're not going to get that in-person visit. So, you know, when you hear people say, oh, visiting slots, you know, aren't being used, it's, it's mm. because there are those barriers to connection that really disproportionately impact low-income people as well. Um, so, you know, that's something that we're constantly advocating, um, both for better policies, but also for some the return of some practical programs that will reunite people who have really been exceptionally isolated over uh, these last two years. Um, and I guess the other piece of that uh, that you mentioned um, is our correspondence program as well. So we receive probably about 400 letters from incarcerated people across the state every month, either asking for resources, reporting conditions, um, and we respond to every single one of those letters and make sure people get connected. Prisons are kind of, you know, far behind the, the outside world that still writing an old-fashioned letter is really their easiest way to access information. So it's, it's critically important. And I'm sure John, uh, when you spoke with him, elaborated some on, on how we um, respond to some of the, the reports of, you know, allegations of abuse or neglect or bad conditions that we get in those letters. Um. It, do people in Pennsylvania have um, tablets and email, do you know? Some of them do. So mm -hmm. we've seen access to tablets really expand um, over the pandemic, which has been great since it's mm -hmm. been a way for people to connect in a particularly isolating time in probably one of the most isolating environments. Um, so especially at the state prisons, most people have access to a tablet where you can access certain websites. You might be able to download some music or movies. There might be some educational programs on there, and you can email with your with your loved ones. Um, but I think the concerning trend that we're seeing across the country that hasn't hit here quite yet is the charges that come with a lot of those services. You know, whether the incarcerated person has to buy the tablet, do they have to pay by the minute to use you know the internet? You know, are the programs, do they have fees attached to them? And this is kind of new territory. And one I think we're concerned about that, like tablets present a lot of opportunity, but they also present another avenue to really financially exploit people um, who are already vulnerable. Usually the tablets, in my experience, are free because I email many people across the country in prison but I pay for the stamps. They, they call them stamps. They're not really, but, and, and uh, the music is uh, expensive. Uh, you yeah. can down, download a movie for about six or $7. That's a lot of money. Yeah. In Pennsylvania, it costs 25 cents for every email that an incarcerated person sends. That's about and, right. And, and 25 cents to an incarcerated person who's making 19 cents an hour. Right. It's really expensive to even, yeah. you know, email. Um, so it's, right. You know, it's great when you see these things offered for free and, and so many localities offered, you know, either 
you had a like an allowance of a certain number of free emails a month during mm -hmm. COVID or a certain number of right. minutes of calls, but a lot of states have rolled back um, those free offerings. And, you know, that's in part because of their contracts with the, the main providers of right. that technology. So how often does your job require you to go into a prison? I'm in prisons fairly regularly, um, especially uh, pre-COVID and now that prisons are reopening again with um, with access to vaccines. Um, I'm proud to say that uh, the Prison Society was actually the first program invited back into the Philadelphia prisons um, after uh, this, since the start of the COVID uh, pandemic. So about mid-October, we were invited back in the facilities to start our fatherhood groups in person again. So since then, I've been inside the Philadelphia prisons uh, once or twice a week, um, and it's been really great to reconnect with people again in person, uh, since that's you know the main focus of our work is to build relationships and connection, but also to just um, see people who haven't seen many people outside of prison staff, you know, over the course of the last two years and to be able to give witness to what conditions are like in there, um, to hear firsthand of what people's access to various programs has been and nothing can really um, replace that, that in-person connection and understanding. So that's restarted since October. Um, we're also weekly inside of two of the state prisons here. Uh, for our mentoring group. So um, spend a lot of time, uh, you know, walking alongside the people who are incarcerated and involving, in, involved in our programs. Do you have to travel all across the state or are you kind of confined to an area of the state? Personally, I, I spend most of my time in the Philadelphia area prisons, but we use our uh, vast network of volunteers across the state to enter the other prisons. So, you know, for example, our center county chapter, which is that's by uh, Penn State, they go into the center county prison weekly for a parenting group there. And um, so, you know, we use that network to reach different areas of the state with with different needs. Oh, that's great. I, I like the um, you had mentioned about the parenting groups for dads. Uh, that's absolutely wonderful. Yeah. Um, is that, again, all volunteer-led? So it, it varies across the state, actually. Our, our, our Center County Parenting Group is all volunteer-led. The chapter there actually did fundraising to cover the cost of the, the training and the materials um, to be able to do that. Um, here in Philadelphia, um, we have contracted staff that uh, deliver that program, and it's through a partnership with uh, the Department of Human Services here. Um, so it just, it depends on how it's funded and how that locality, you know, is structured. So it's, there's a lot of diversity in that with a big state like Pennsylvania. Um, but I'll have to say, you know, when I um, went back into the Philadelphia prisons, you know, in October for the restart of this parenting group for the first time in, you know, 18 months, I was expecting that the guys in the group would really need just time to vent because of the last 18 months. You know, they've been so isolated. The conditions in Philadelphia's prisons are really horrific right now and are going through a real crisis. So, you know, we we were prepared to hold space for that. And 
all of the guys that showed up just were so excited to have a time to talk about their kids and to talk about being a father and to connect about what it's been like to navigate how to do that through incarceration. I think they were all just so relieved to have a space where they could kind of turn off the the trauma that they're experiencing every day in prisons and to focus on something. We were talking about the uh, conditions in the prison, so uh, we're almost out of time, Kirsten, but tell us a, a little bit about that. And also, I wondered if you could just tell us anything in closing that you think the public should know about the work you do. Yeah. You know, the conditions... I think in prisons are, are typically pretty horrific and have only been intensified over, you know, the course of the pandemic with people, you know, largely shut off from the outside even more so. There have been very limited access to programs. Um, when our program restarted in October, I was really expecting to have to hold space for our program participants to really unpack the isolation of the last two years and, and the trauma of the conditions that people have been in, but, you know, they're excited to be able to talk about something else, to be able to connect and, and talk about their families and, and things that, um, you know, that they're proud of and that bring them joy. Um, so that's been uh, really rewarding. Um, I think, you know, the thing for people to realize is we all reflect on, you know, the impact of COVID-19 on all of our lives and the isolation that we felt is how intensified that's been inside prisons. You know, people have been largely in their cells for 23 hours a day, if not more, uh, with no access to libraries or various support groups. Uh, education programs have been really limited. Uh, access to showers, hot food, like all of that has become really restricted. And I think prisons are going to be one of the last areas to you know, quote unquote, recover um, from COVID just because of the high risk environment. You know, it's a congregate care setting. Um, it's a lot of uh, medically vulnerable people. Um, all, all sorts of things are um, really complicate how we've been able to support people in care. And I think the long-term uh, implications of that are, are yet to be seen. Thank you so much for shedding a light on something that I think not enough people know about what happens uh, in the shadows of a, our prison system. And both the, you and John and Anton have done that for us. So uh, I applaud your work with the Pennsylvania Prison Society and keep doing the good things that you do. And thanks for your time today. Really, yeah, Thanks it. for having us. Thank you. And next time uh, we will have um, a very uh, amazing author of a book that's gotten a lot of uh, attention. The book is called Invisible Child and the author is Andrea Elliott. So tune in next time for Pursuing Justice on Society Bites Radio. I am Harriet Hendel. Thanks for listening to my podcast today. You have been listening to Pursuing Justice on Society Bites Radio. And I'm your host, Harriet.